I haven't been drinking lately, but like, I don't know. I feel like doing it today. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Hark. This is with nothing to say. Audition, the 1999 Takashi Maike film. Audition. Similar to House, this is a movie I saw last year. Really enjoyed it. Became an all-time favorite, another Japanese horror film. I guess, Austin, can you tell me what the movie is about briefly? At the beginning of the film, a man's wife dies, and him and his son are basically alone for like 10 years, just the two of them. And after years and years of just being the two of them, the son's kind of a late teenager, high school, maybe like late high school, somewhere around that. And he finally gets a girlfriend and he pushes his dad to, you know, go back into the field, go out and find someone. And so the father's friend, best friend, friend of some sort. Like a business partner too. Business partner, right. Works, is like a, a filmmaker. So he's a director and casting director. And he does all these different things. And he says, oh, well, you're looking for a girlfriend. Why don't we just run auditions for this fake film? Although if it's fake, it's kind of up in the air. And then whichever one you like the most, you can basically marry them. As you can imagine, does not go the way they planned and it turns into chaos. Yeah, very controlled chaos, yeah. The reason why I picked this movie is because, like I said, I love it, another Japanese horror film, but it's very different from House in that like, you know, you had your reservations about House and that it's kind of, it's insane. From beginning to end, that movie is just, insane you know crazy animation crazy editing all around just like a crazy movie i love it but i wanted to pick audition because it's another japanese horror film but it's very reserved and very slow and very quiet it's pretty much the opposite of house um, but it's still very very dark and very very maybe even darker in a lot of ways uh, than uh, houses but it's very dark very violent especially when you get to the end so that's kind of why i picked it but yeah i'll, I'll we'll get into that so the film opens up on with the death of the wife and the son is walking in with a bouquet of flowers, I believe. And he's walking down this, is he, that like a project, right? Yes, it's like an art project or something. Uh, yeah. And he's walking down this like white, pristine, kind of eerie, almost hospital hallway. And as he's walking down, you can see the father having these final words with wife. It's, as you said, it's very controlled. It's very slow. I think something that this film does really well is it's an incredibly patient film yeah. and it will hold on to scenes so long. Like it'll hold on to a shot way longer than what would typically be normal for a film. And I, I think it's also interesting that for a lot of the first part of the film, for a lot of those longer shots, it's actually from behind uh, the father, like you don't actually see his face a lot. There's a lot from behind him or from his side. There's very little um, close-ups of his face early on in the film, which I think is interesting. And even that shot in the hospital with the the death of the wife and mother, it's like this very pulled back far. It feels very far away in a way that a lot of the film does. It, you feel almost like you're disturbing. Like it doesn't feel so much as you're watching a movie as it does like you're watching this family kind of break down and you're watching from like this 
weird distance and it, it creates this eerie, uncomfortable, almost stalker-esque feeling. And as the wife dies, right after she dies, the, uh, the son walks in, which is a pretty <laughs> intense way to start the film. Yeah, very, very intense. And then pretty much like right away when it cuts, it's uh, years later, probably like 15 years later, I think it yeah, says so something like that. It's pretty much established that like the dad and the son seem to have a good relationship, maybe a little awkward. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, you know, one of my favorite parts about the movie too is that like people aren't necessarily very cut and dry, you know what I mean? Everyone's pretty much like a normal person, you know, no one's evil, no one's yeah. good. It's a complicated movie in terms of how people are and how people act, you know, there's no like evil person, there's no good person, you know, so that's one of the reasons why I like about it. And the relationship between the dad and the son, while it is complicated, it's not like a bad relationship. They don't hate each other. They hang out, they go fishing. So yeah, you're established the fact that like, oh, they're fishing, they're having a good time. And it's kind of funny watching it again. You know, they kind of talk about like, oh, it's a great catch. You know what I mean? Which I feel like kind of sets up yeah, kind of later on about dating and having girlfriends and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I think not too soon after they go fishing, his son's kind of pretty much just kind of teasing his dad and is like, you know, you really should date someone else. You know, his son is basically just giving him the go ahead, like, look, like, mom's been gone for a while. We love mom, but you need to find another wife, find another girlfriend, kind of move on with your life. I think it's time because you're getting old. (laughs) 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 His son isn't being mean. He's kind of right. You know what I mean? He's kind of kind of being kind of honest, you know what I mean? If it was like an American comedy, it would be like super mean. Like the kid would be like a horrible, yeah. like, <laughs> like a little piece of like crap, you know what I mean? But it's more kind of like teasing and kind of almost him giving his blessing that dad like, yeah, you can go and do this if you need to. It definitely comes from a genuine place of care and love. And I, that scene is so well, it is just so beautifully uh, blocked in the way that especially when that whole conversation is taking place, the camera is pretty far back. Yes. They're having dinner, right? They're having dinner? Yeah, yeah, they're eating dinner. And basically after that opening shot, it's just the entire scene takes place from that one shot pretty far back. You don't really see his emotions or like how he's reacting to this whole thing. You only see the sun. And even him, he's pretty far off in the distance and it's kind of dark. And you're kind of forced to create, and I think this is true with the whole film, is you have to make your own assumptions, which is sort of the danger of, I would argue our, the father and many of the characters is they're forced to make these assumptions. And as a viewer, you're also sort of more forced to make these assumptions, which create these sort of dangerous layers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that, that shot from the, that's that last shot of that scene is held on for a while. You know, I think like the kid, after they're done talking, he gets up and he kind of puts away the dishes and stuff like that. You know, it kind of goes on for a little while. Um, that's perfect. It's very good. It's paced, you know, really well, as well as it probably can be. I think after that, he talks to his friend, our main yeah. character. Yeah, at the bar, right? Yeah, I think it's established that, like, I think that the dad is a successful movie guy. Like, he's in the movie business, film business, yeah. and he's somewhat successful, it seems like. And he has a, a conversation at the bar with his business partner and friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think that the bar conversation might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's kind of amazing. 
like I don't know if you feel the same way it's just like it's just like a conversation between two guys at a bar but I don't know there's something so like amazing about it you're so locked into the whole thing yeah there's something mesmerizing about it which is so strange I mean like you're saying it's literally just two people sitting at a bar talking there's something almost ominous about that and I remember when I was watching it like the bartender feels weird yeah I don't like even even like at the beginning there's something I don't know it just felt weird and and you're just like so pulled in by honestly this conversation that's pretty just like an average conversation between two people like it's not like they're saying anything you know out there so I mean of course there's kind of it's sort of ridiculous and it's a realistic conversation yeah it's a realistic conversation I mean it's a dry humor but it's a really funny like it's a genuinely funny movie and there's a lot of points this movie where I, I couldn't help but like genuinely laugh I, I, in this conversation, even though, again, there's this sort of weird, ominous tension that I wasn't able to sort of like, I, I don't know why I felt it, but even going through that, it was a very funny conversation. And that's where, of course, as you said, it's established that they're going to hold auditions for his new wife. Yep. His friend just was like, hey, you know, we make films we should make a film and hold auditions for you to get a new wife. You know, these girls will be young, which is what he wants. He wants like a younger woman. They'll be, you know, well accomplished. They'll be interesting. Um, you'll be able to talk to them. You can ask them whatever you want. You'll be able to read their resumes and their essays and kind of know everything about them, sort of, sort of at a surface level, of course. Uh, and you'll be able to select from a large range of women to uh, uh, potentially date. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of, you know, like a Tinder or something like that, you know, uh, kind of, you know, swiping through all these women, but we'll get to that later. And they, you know, they concoct this plan. You mentioned they make a fake movie. It's not really a fake movie, but they're not like confident that it's going to go anywhere. So it's more or less kind of, you it's know. It's kind of like, have you ever seen um, The Producers? You know, I watched that movie very recently. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the same idea. Like they really don't care if it ever makes any money. It's just like a, a secondary thing. Like it's, it has the funding. So I guess it is technically a real movie, but they're not really interested in if it goes anywhere. Like in the producers, it would probably make it more complicated if they actually had to make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How like in producers, now that the play is successful, it is now complicated everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did not go the way that they expected, but they expect that it won't get any funding and mm -hmm. they're correct but you mentioned it being funny I love the scene where he's at his desk and he's reading the applications of the different actresses and he opens up like 10 folders like manila folders yeah. and like just stacks and stacks <laughs> of like auditions and of a, you know women who have trying out for I'm guessing the lead part before that though you know they kind of talk a little bit about the kind of women that he wants you know and they talk about how like I think the main character he might mention or say something about like uh, you know, uh, what if the movie is made and she's the main part, you know, da, da, da. and I think the guy, his friend is like, are you kidding me? You don't want the girl who gets the main part or something <laughs> like that. Like, you don't want that kind of person. Like that person is like depressed or something, you know, being mean. It's like, they'll, they'll be a good actress, which means that they're very depressed or something like that. So they're definitely like a little bit sexist, but not in a very obvious way, which once again, kind of complicates them. You know what I mean? They're not like uh, women, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're more kind of subtle with their sexism, which kind of complicates what they want. And the thing about the main character too that complicates him is that he's not looking for sex, you know, not necessarily. Yeah. He wants to 
find a wife, you know, someone to marry, someone that he actually like loves and cares about. So it's like, it's still very unethical that he's <laughs> you do that ever. But his his intentions are I, kind of pure. Like he's not trying to like have sex with as many women as possible. He's just trying to find one person that he could potentially marry. Yeah. So it's it's very complicated. So he's 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 looking through all of these. I mean, it's basically just like you said, like a stack of women, and he's totally. mostly he's mostly just looking at the pictures. Like he'll like peruse their essay. But he, you can tell that he doesn't really care. And he remembers his uh, friend saying, like, look, don't just look at the pictures, read the essays as well. But, you know, he's kind of looking at the pictures as well. Actually, you know what? He phone call. He calls him on the phone. He's like, look, there's so many. Like, what am I going to do? There's so many. He's like, you know, take your time, but don't just look at the pictures. Try to read the essays. And then his son, I think at, at one point, too, comes in and he's like, hey, I have a friend, you know, a girlfriend. And we're just hanging out. Just want to let you know. It's like, oh, OK, cool. And then he spills his coffee on a specific application. And it's a Somni's application that he spills it on, right? And that's how he kind of, yes. And so he reads her application, which is, she used to be this ballet dancer when she was a kid, um, but due to a hip injury, I think is, uh, is all she says, she is, was unable to pursue her career anymore. And she describes the way giving up in, in this very sort of poetic kind of language, she describes how it's very similar to death or loss. And of course, he's looking at the photo of his life and he's like, she's just like me, even though perhaps it's still a bit surface level from his perspective. You can see that he's trying to find a genuine connection here. And like you said, even though there is, uh, it does feel a little male gazy, there is some sort of sexist undertones to it. He's not, so, he's not like a, overtly sexist person he isn't he's not someone who sees himself as like you know sexist or better than women or anything like that but yeah he's not like evil he's not like a yeah he doesn't know how to like approach women anymore you know because he's what he probably dated his wife married his wife was with his wife she died then he didn't date for what 10 15 years yeah. now he's like <laughs> i don't know what to do now i guess we can do this thing because it's we know it's easy to do and you know it, it gives me options but it's still kind of weird, you know, you still shouldn't do that. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, he is clearly enthralled by the essay. And also, we forgot to say that um, his friend told him, like, select 30 out of the applications. And I think that's when he meets his son's, you know, girlfriend, friend, which is a very small scene, but they're uh, looking at dinosaur pictures. Yeah, his, his son <laughs> is, like, obsessed with dinosaurs. Yeah. I can't really grasp much of the significance of it other than, I don't know. That's why I thought too. I was like, I was watching it again. This is the second time I've seen this movie, and I thought the same thing. I was like, what's the significance that he likes dinosaurs? And I think it's just a quirk, you know? It's like, quirk. it doesn't really like mean anything in the grand scheme of the story. It's just like a thing that his son likes, you know? Well, maybe it has something to do with this idea of being obsessed with the past and obsessed with things that no longer exist. Because just like, through a lot of the film, the father is obsessed with his wife, or even uh, even with Asami, right? He's obsessed with this idea of Asami, this idealization of Asami in the same way. The son is obsessed with the idealization of these dinosaurs, and he's seeing them as not necessarily as living animals, because they're all dead, but as this idealized version of it. And I think 
that's the only like real connection I could that's creating you can possibly do but that's i feel like that's just kind of like a very it's very thin you know what i mean because it's like I, I still feel like it's just kind of like a quirk that they put mm -hmm. in that's probably the best reading you could probably input into it uh, i think it's just like his son is like i don't know uh, a nerd i guess they're also <laughs> like but you know he has a girlfriend you know and he he meets his girlfriend and the dad does he meets his son's girlfriend not really a girlfriend more like a friend and you know she's nice and stuff like that and um he leaves and i think pretty much after that you get to the audition scene which yeah. is an amazing montage one of the best montages it is an absolutely incredible montage i love every single minute of the montage it is so and this is another thing about this movie even though it at times can be very patient the editing is just absolutely incredible and meticulous and so on point and at this like it just moves so well it flows so beautifully and you meet like all these different people and they all have like these different quirks and it's all like you know it's kind of silly and fun yeah it, it's it's really it's a scene out of like an american you know comedy or something like that not like a sex comedy but like you said more like a kind of a adult but not like too adult comedy yeah. kind of thing you know but yeah super funny I love the fact that it seems like the um friend the main character's friend it seems like he asks a different question for every person that auditions yeah I love the effect that it creates when it's all edited yeah. together it, it gives that effect that's why I like I love the movie so much it's able to kind of do slow really well but then when it kind of goes into kind of like the audition scene it's a little faster and you're meeting tons of people like they are you know just like one girl after another that they're interviewing for the role and like you said you know they have all their little quirks uh, which is great I mean at one point like a girl you don't know why but she strips naked yep <laughs> like wait what <laughs> they're asked about like their sex lives for some reason you know just like random which I assume they must I, I bet you like for like movies like this where they have to interview like dozens and dozens of actresses I, I'm sure casting directors do do that sometime I mean I don't have experience in that but I bet casting directors just to mix it up like probably do that where they're just kind of like all right like I'm just gonna make up like a random question that I haven't told the last you know what I mean just kind of like you know, I want to like ask like different questions to kind of mix it up. So it's not like I'm asking the same questions over and over. So that method kind of makes sense. But here it's done very comedically and very uh, <laughs> sillily, I guess you could say. Just just a little a little hint of a uh, casting couch sort of uh, yeah. vibe going on here. Because <laughs> they're not auditioning for the movie, technically. They're right. auditioning to be the guy's wife. Uh, but they think they're auditioning to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. They're not having sex with the guys, of course. No, no. Uh, but they're doing, they're saying like really weird things and, yeah. you know, asking weird questions and, you know, very, very interesting. And they established that um, Asami is, I think, the 28th person that's being interviewed. So throughout the whole thing, the only person asking the question is the business partner. He's the one asking all the questions. And the father, uh, he's been silent the whole time. He's said nothing he's like I'm nervous I just I don't know I feel weird about the whole thing which understandable but when he sees Asami that's when he asks his first question and he asks about her ballet yeah he's basically anticipating to talk to her and he kind of like doesn't really he kind of asks her about his her ballet 
but then he kind of like gushes you know what i mean about how like all awesome and great and strong she was that's also a really good point he really doesn't ask her much of anything he kind of just talks and again it goes into this idea of idealization he's idealizing this idea of who she is but he doesn't really let her speak that much or say much of anything he's basically already decided right yeah. but from the moment he saw her you know essay picture really and sort of essay he's already decided this is the person and so then when she's in the audition she says like five words and he just gushes for like five minutes she kind of also sets up the fact that like yeah she was a ballet dancer something happened you know she got hurt she couldn't do it anymore and now she kind of has a manager at a record company and that's kind of like her contact I guess you could say she says she's gotten offers but she's never been in a movie before and uh yeah like you said gushes she leaves and then he has a conversation with his friend where the friend is just kind of like uh <laughs> you know he's like <laughs> he's basically just like you should have played your hands so hard you know <laughs> just kind of like an interviewer doesn't well an auditioner doesn't uh really say stuff like that yeah kind of being very obvious that like uh you're infatuated with this person and he basically says something along the lines like yeah, she seems nice. She seems cool, but she kind of gives me the creeps. The business partner basically like calls around and figures out that she wasn't actually, or like the person at the record company that supposedly was her agent disappeared 18 months ago and no yeah. one's heard from this person since. Yeah, the uh, the main character's friend is the smartest character in the movie. <laughs> Certainly intelligent. Yeah. He's not nice, but he's at least like uh, reasonable. He has a feeling Mm -hmm. he investigates it and he finds out you know okay something is kind of wrong and like you said it turns out that the contact he's provided uh, is a guy that's been missing for a while so the guy calls asami mm -hmm. and he's like hey um uh, we should get like dinner i think is pretty much what they do mm -hmm. um he's like hey we should get some dinner and then he talks to his friend and his friend is basically just like it's it's great i love it it's like a scene of him of the friend talking on the phone uninterrupted him just saying like hey look you know i looked into this and um for some reason this uh, the, the one contact that asami gave us um it's a guy that disappeared we don't know where he is it's very strange i just want to let you know hard cut they're at dinner <laughs> like like the, the the main character does not care at all he does not care about any of his friends like reservations so good just the hard cut just bam they're at dinner you know no he, he said he finishes talking to the main character and you don't even hear what the main character says it's just like a hard cut yeah it's unbelievable yeah it's beautiful and jarring and one of the first moments where like something feels feels off it definitely yeah. feels off when they first start going to dinner we really only get like their first half mm -hmm. of the conversations and then we get their second half of their conversations later in the movie yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. They, it starts doing these things where it hard cuts between their different dates, their early dates. Yeah. And yeah, they're just kind of getting to know each other a little bit, where she's from, what she's doing. She establishes the fact that I think she works at a bar, like at a random bar. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're just kind of taking time talking to each other. And he asks to even go to the bar and she's like, no, 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 you don't want to. She gets kind of this weird, vague sort of mysterious answer and he of course immediately buys it <laughs> he does not care about any he's just like oh we'll work through it you know i think he you know he says like you know uh, i'll i'll handle it you know if, if something's wrong you know i'll figure it out and that's also where you get the first introduction of her family she talks about her father who lives in 
Chiba very briefly. And that's kind of the end. And then once they cut to the fancy diner, right? It's so beautiful because the way they shoot it, it's just like a shot reverse shot. So it looks like it's the same conversation happening. So like it feels, right? It feels like it's the same conversation until you realize they're in the fancy restaurant. And the conversation kind of, I mean, it, it basically continues where it was, almost where it was. Yeah, it's just, you know, their conversations are one in the same because they're still getting to know each other. But I think his friend is like, look, I know you like her, chill out, call her later, like delay right. your attention. And I think he does that for a little while when he gets kind of antsy. And it's established, by the way, it's established at this point that there is something wrong with Asami because we've seen a couple flashes of her in her apartment that has no furniture. So crazy. Sitting next to her phone waiting for him to call. And, and you see a, a bag, a yeah, brown bag. You see a sack and you're just kind of like, huh, okay. It's like a sack. It's and you like, hear like a, a growling in the sack, like a weird guttural growling. I wonder what this will be. Anyway. <laughs> nothing good. Yeah, nothing, probably, probably, you know, it's probably like a sack of potatoes or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so he, he calls and, you know, has that scene where she's like looking down and she like slowly smiles and stuff. Very creepy. Just, An incredible like, performance. Yeah, she's really good. Every, all performances are great in the movie. Yeah. By the way, the music in the movie, just to mention it briefly, amazing, beautiful, classical, you know, just great score, beautiful, works really well. Takashi Maike, just to talk briefly about him, um, I think I told you, he's made all kinds of movies. I think he's made over 100 movies. Yeah. Um, he's made samurai movies, action movies. Um, he made a musical comedy movie. He's made video game adaptation movies and I think more or less this is what's considered his best film, mm -hmm. his most celebrated one. And of the ones that I've seen by him, this is easily his most patient and slow moving film. He has a great movie called Ichi the Killer. I'm not gonna pick that movie for the show, uh, but I recommend you watch it. If you thought this movie was crazy, you probably think Ichi the Killer is. I would say that movie is more similar to House in that like it's just nonstop violence and insanity. Mm -hmm. Very good though, still very good. I read on the Wikipedia page that the, the studio that made this movie was the studio that made Ring, which I haven't seen, but that was a big, big deal. And they wanted to make another horror movie. And, you know, this movie is based off a novel by uh, Ryo Murakami, who uh, wrote this movie called In the Miso Soup, which I read recently. And that movie has kind of almost the same trajectory, honestly. The novel In the Miso Soup, it has kind of the same trajectory where you're kind of introduced to these characters and you slowly get to know them until it eventually kind of like hits at the very, very end, near the end, mm -hmm. more or less, where, you know, something is wrong. So from what the other movies I've seen by Maike, um, he kind of, it seems like he really values kind of like fast pacedness a little bit more. But in this movie, he's, I think he's more reserved and it's clear that, you know, he um, succeeds uh, very well so yeah music performance it's all it all comes together very well in my opinion so then after the dinner scene i think he has a uh, conversation with his son i think his son kind of lets him know like more or less like okay i know you've been seeing a woman and i'm very happy for you it's pretty much the conversation you know like that's awesome you know i'm glad you're you know seeing someone else and she seems really nice i don't think they've met at all the son and uh i don't think they meet well they meet later but you know <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the only person that's met Asami 
really is the business partner and that was only at the audition no one else has seen that or sure yeah yeah but then yeah i think um he tells us i'm like we're going on a trip we're going on basically a holiday to a hotel and like a beachfront thing or whatever and that's right that's when he tells his son that he's going to propose to asami yes that's true yep and, she, and he's like cool good job dad he's he seems to be supportive of the whole thing something like that yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they go to the seaside hotel and he like arrives there and i think she's already there mm-hmm. and she's like looking out into the sea that seems really beautiful it's very nice very just you know simple patient well paced he comes there to the seaside hotel she sees her looking out to the seaside um you get a shot of the seaside just the seaside mm-hmm. um, very very nice you know just kind of sets it up really well in a very patient slow way very nice and then after that they're inside the motel room hotel room and he's like what do you want to, like do you want to go here for dinner or do you want to do this and uh she basically hops into bed she takes off all her clothes very slowly very slowly very seductively although no nudity i think it's interesting that the only nudity in the film was that one scene at the audition where that woman stripped there's no it's another nudity in the film. So she, you know, strips in the sort of Hollywood kind of like hiding, you know, all the essential parts and she climbs under the covers and he walks over to her still fully clothed. And uh, he starts to take his clothes off and she's like, no, 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 just like watch. She uh, slowly pulls the bed sheet up her leg very seductively until you see pretty far up her thigh two red marks yeah like burn marks mm-hmm. the asami is basically just like please you know love me and no one else and he's like okay and they get into bed and there's no sex scene or anything like that but it's established that they probably did have sex i do love that cut though because they're like they roll over right they roll over and then it cuts to that white sheet and so it looks like it's like one of them on top of the other and it pushes forward and you see it's just him in the bed alone it's a brilliant use of editing and just like tricking the viewer as like they've done multiple times now just kind of tricking the viewer into thinking this optical illusion there's really like no cut it just kind of happens and you're just like oh we're in the future now it just happens very quickly and right away you're like okay they've had sex and it's the future but it happens very quickly it's very yeah it's like kind of an illusion like you said an illusion so it's very yeah good but I think he calls the front desk and because he's not in the bed. No, no, the front desk calls them, which I thought was a little weird because they call him because they're like, your, uh, your friend left. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you left? And pretty much from this point forward, we won't see Asami until the very, very end. It goes from like a, your classic, maybe rom-com to it turns into a more... Uh, at this point, there's a sort of film noir kind of uh, yeah. feel to it for like the next, for like the middle half of the film. I would totally agree with you. Once you get into like, yeah, like the last like third or fourth of the movie, it becomes a little bit more weird. It gets a little confusing, you might say, just a little bit, not in a bad way. Yeah. Um, it becomes a little bit less um, linear very quickly, but it kind of makes sense because you're kind of spiraling right so he goes back home and his he like calls up his business partner she's like i can't or 
I think they meet in like the office or something. And he basically says that he can't find her anywhere. Do you have like, do you have like an address or anything? And he's like, well, I'm usually not supposed to give it, but they didn't actually give, there was no home address, right? They had given the, uh, the record place, right? Is that was the home address that they gave? I think so. Yeah. It's just, his friend is basically just saying like, look, I'm warning you again. Like something's wrong with her. Like something's wrong. Like something's like wrong. Stop. Yeah. You know, she's gone. She's disappeared. You need to forget about her. You know, I, I, I don't feel good about this. And his friend's just like, and the main character is basically just like, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go find her by myself. I don't need you. Once again, the most intelligent move, the, the, the most intelligent character in the movie, more or less. This is, this is definitely the part of the movie where you're just kind of like, okay, it's like a dream. Like, I don't know. He goes to the dance studio and it's boarded up, but he hears somebody inside. So he breaks in and he sees a guy in a wheelchair playing a piano very solemnly and kind of goes up to him and he says like, hey, do you know who Asami is? Blah, blah, blah. You know, he's trying to get him to talk to him. And the guy with the, the wheelchair at the piano is very like, you know, go away. I don't care. And I think he starts laughing very maniacally <clears throat> and he kind of goes up to him and, and you know, through flashbacks, you kind of realize that the burn marks are from the, the guy in the wheelchair, who's the ballet guy. He's Asami's uncle or something? I don't know if there's any relation. I just know that the guy is like the ballet teacher or something like that. Yeah, he's, uh, she's like seven, eight years old. Yeah, that seems hard. That seems very... That seems, int- that seems real intense. Foul abuse scene, it's like... Yeah. It's yeah. awful. It's just like a... He kind of just has like this, uh, like a like a hot oak, uh, iron, like a stoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like very hot, and she puts it like, like you said, on her inner thigh, and it burns her. And I'm assuming, you know, they don't really go into it, but I'm assuming there must be like more physical abuse, you know, more sexual abuse that's or something like that. But you know, you don't. That's really the only child abuse scene that you see, which works really well because, you know if there was more abuse we don't necessarily need to see it because the scar itself which you are established later on almost is like a representation of the scar of being abused whether it is physically or sexually you get the idea of watching the scene of knowing who put the scar on her and then you can kind of formulate everything else or at least try to um you don't necessarily need to see like her being sexually abused to understand like oh there was probably that was probably also in the in the formula you know yeah so it's, it's very i think it's effective in kind of kind of telling the story of asami without like i don't know going nuts it's all visuals too there's not really any much of a no. not really any voiceover or anything it's all just and you even though like they don't explain anything you know like you're well aware of who everyone is what everyone's doing and it's it's intense even though it's a scene that's very in a certain sense very disturbing and very violent it's very reserved and I, I think it easily could have been done in a way that feels indulgent and I don't think it does at all I think it's it's very well done very masterfully done and not indulgent in any way and that's when we uh smash cut to him like washing his face well I think first you find out that the the guy in the wheelchair has prosthetic feet mm. his- yeah and then yeah it cuts so he's washing his face um and obviously he's, he's pretty freaked out and at yeah. this point 
I think kind of like you were saying earlier, there's this weird dreamlike state to the rest of the film. Like time kind of works in a strange way. It's kind of hard to tell when things happen where, especially with the editing. Yeah, he goes to the bar. He he remembers. I think while he's watching his face, like, oh, she was working on this bar. He's like, okay, find the bar. He goes to the bar and he finds out that it's closed. He's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And um, a neighbor, a guy who lives, you know, up the stairs, is going. He's like, hey, what, you know, what happened? Why is it closed? When they'll be back? And I think he tells him like, uh, yeah, it's been abandoned for a while. It's been closed for like a couple of years because the owner was killed and dismembered in the bar. However, <laughs> and kind of explaining kind of what happened, he tells the guy, the main character, like, you know, it's kind of weird. They also found, um, you know, the, the owner got killed and dismembered, you know, his piece everywhere. But they also found an extra three fingers, an extra ear, and an extra tongue. I don't know why this happens to the main character, but he imagines it. Yeah. He imagines like the extra pieces and he freaks out for a second, which is kind of weird. That part of the movie is always kind of confusing because it's like, why is he kind of freaking out? Because it's not like he's drugged. It's not like he's dreaming. He's like talking to this guy, but for some reason he freaks out. He's like, he imagines like the extra pieces and he kind of like, he's like, oh my gosh, you know, he kind of freaks out for a second. Mm -hmm. I think he just finds it disturbing and he kind of freaks out for a second. And it is certainly a disturbing, like you kind of see like the tongue move a little bit, which is just, I mean, it's a great effect, but very disturbing. I think this is when Hasami goes to his house. They didn't even show Hasami, right? They just show, it's like a POV, a little shaky cam-esque of like running to this rum or like dark liquor that he drinks, so maybe brandy or whiskey or something. And you can see her kind of like open it up and you can see uh, her like run up the stairs and it's it's this very kind of weird disturbing you kind of know uh that it's asami somehow i don't know who else could it be you know like, yeah yeah you kind of know that's him and you know that something's off so he, that, he sees the picture of his wife too he sees a picture of his wife yeah. his dead wife but like you said he looks she looks at the liquor she looks at the pick the uh, picture and then i think they have a dog by the way it's established that they have a dog and the dog like runs into the room yeah see him again you know she uh took care of the dog and but then i think later in that night it looks like the dad comes home the main character comes home and the son is off with his girlfriend off on like yeah he's just doing something he's hanging out and he and he even says like hey if you see if you find the dog feed him some food like i haven't seen him in a while which at this point you're like that's creepy and weird and yeah. the father walks into the house. Of course, he pours himself a cup liquor and he has a sip. That's such a great scene. That performance is so good. The performance of him like trying to act like he's being paralyzed, like he's in the process of being paralyzed. I've never seen anything like that before. Like people use like, I guess, paralyzation as like a thing to use. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I've never seen like a scene where a person is like, I guess, pretending to be in the process of being paralyzed that's like this honestly dude like being paralyzed is like the scariest thing in the world to me like that might be scarier than like anything in any movie you know just like yeah. the fact that like you are no longer in control of like your body like you can't move it at all barely yeah. it's just un like that is scary so yeah he's like kind of like what's going on he kind of stands up 
and then he begins to fall. That's where you get this incredible sequence. I won't even call it a montage. It's longer than a montage where you basically get all of this extra story. Yeah, backstory into things that our main character actually already knew, which I think it's interesting that the film withholds this information from the viewer, but not the protagonist. Kind of also showing this idealization that he has, right? He only wants to see the things. And you can see that she has been, she told him that she had been abused by the ballet dancer, whoever. A lot of like intense stuff. It shows a uh, weird time dilation, right? Where like he's at, at some point he's like at the, and this doesn't, I, I can't really grasp. It's almost like as he's like falling, mm-hmm. in the process of about to fall onto the ground. It's almost like he's realizing the fact that like, wait a minute, something's wrong with Asami, you know? And almost, it's almost like the, the everything that he remembers, wow. including dreams and things that he's worrying about kind of like shoots up into his brain as he's in the middle of falling into the ground. So yeah, you get like the second half of the conversations of their dates where Asami kind of admits like, yeah, I was abused and, you know, I'm kind of having a tough time and stuff. And then you get back into her apartment, you get into that scene, which is an amazing scene. I love the scene where they're in Asami's apartment and you discover the person in the sack. Um, This person comes out and you get a good introduction of the person coming out of the sack where it's clear that they don't have a tongue and their hands are messed up and they don't have any feet. So they're essentially a mute, immobile, like animal. Essentially, this person has been degraded to be an animal. And I'm assuming this is the person at the record company um, that has been missing. And uh, I think uh, Asami, she gets a bowl, you know, and she vomits into it. And she feeds the vomit to the person with no feet. So, And it's interesting, too, because the main character is there. Yes. But it's not like he's actually there. He almost kind of represents, he's almost like the avatar for us. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, you know, he's he's putting his hand over his mouth because he's not literally at the apartment. Right, he's not actually there. It's more like an avatar. But I love that scene. It's very nice. It's disgusting. It's slow. It's clear that something's wrong with the Sami from that point forward. And I think like also we get introduced the scene where she returns to the piano teacher as well. And, you know, she goes to the piano teacher who obviously abusive guy. I'm assuming this happens after he talks to, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like- It's hard to tell when- Who even knows if the main character even talked to the guy at the right. at this yeah. point? Like we don't even know at this <laughs> point, but she meets him and it seems like uh, she takes the piano wire, which we'll be acquainted with later. She wraps it around the ballet teacher's head he's playing the piano he doesn't object by the way and she fucking pulls and pulls and pulls <laughs> and his head just kind of falls. right off <laughs> it's crazy it's the fucking craziest scene dude and i think it's just meant to indicate like before he falls to the ground the kind of person that our main character is dealing with who is asami you know she's sympath- we're sympathetic to her because she was abused by these you know these men yeah um horribly um, i'm assuming she was probably abused by the record guy but we're not really sure the combination of the scene in the apartment the scene where she decapitates the guy and the scenes where they have dinner 
kind of come together to show who Asami really is. It's one of the most uncomfortable moments I've had in a film in a long time. Which scene in particular? <laughs> just the sequence or just like? Well, particularly the scene at the apartment. Yeah, because you really would be reduced to essentially an animal-like creature if you can't speak, you can't walk, you barely have any hands, and you are essentially forced to eat the vomit of the person who is not even enslaving you, but essentially uh, keeping you uh, in a sack away from any light or anyone else that you know of. And yeah, it, uh, it comes very quickly and it comes very um, powerfully. And then he falls to the ground yeah. in, his home, in his home, our main character, and he is paralyzed. So he wakes up, Asami's there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it is a absolutely brutal scene where she tells him that you're paralyzed, but apparently you feel pain much more than you would if you weren't paralyzed. And she gets these needles and she just starts putting them inside his body. I will say, I forgot to mention something. He has that one weird part where he is being, where Asami's like gonna like give him oral sex. And then she changes, remember? She, Asami changes into different women in his life. Yes. So one thing that we didn't mention is that at one point she changes into what appears to be one of his workers. And it's established throughout the movie that this person has kind of like a weird, maybe kind of strained sexual relationship with his worker. Uh And then he also changes into um, his uh, son's girlfriend. That scene is really interesting too, because I think like in that moment too, not only is he realizing who Asami really is, but I think he's also like trying to like compute his like guilt. Yeah. He feels guilty about trying to get with Asami using the audition. He feels guilty because he essentially used his coworker or worker for sex and then kind of forgot about her. And then he feels guilty because he feels sexually attracted to his son's girlfriend. I'm not saying that like we should feel bad for the guy, but it's clear the guy feels shitty about everything. Shitty things he's done. Yeah, the shit, he feels shitty about the shitty things that he's done, you know. I'm not saying that we should feel bad for him, but he himself does feel bad. And, you know, he freaks out when his son's girlfriend is on top of him and he's like, oh, get away from me. You know, he's upset of the fact that the women in his life don't feel right. And also the other thing too, he also feels guilty about his wife because you get the scene where they're at the fancy restaurant. Well, he turns, he looks over at the main character and his son and his wife right. and someone else is at the dinner table, his dead wife. And they have kind of a conversation where they like, he's like, hey, this is Asami, blah, blah, blah. So I think once again, it's another thing of guilt where he feels guilty about, even though his wife has been dead for a while, he does feel guilty about kind of maybe turning his back on his wife. You know what I mean? Kind of, she's right over there, you know, like it feels as if his wife is not that far away. So he feels guilty about almost like cheating on his wife, even though she's been dead for a while. And the wife doesn't approve either. She does not approve of Asami. Yeah, not not necessarily because it's weird too. It's funny too, because once again, it's not that, that I think the wife doesn't want him to move on. Yeah. It's clear that something is off. Once again, <laughs> in my opinion, one of the best torture sequences in any movie. I think something that I find really interesting about the sequence is as she's putting needles in like the most painful parts of his body, it's like his stomach. His, under his ribs. Oh, oh. Oh. Can you imagine that, dude? Like, oh my God. Pretty ticklish under the ribs. Like, 
It, oh my God. Stomach and did you cringe when um, she, so she, yeah, she, like you said, he's paralyzed, he can't move. She puts like a ton of needles in his stomach under his ribs and best performance ever, by the way. This guy, he's like, he really sells the fact that he's being tortured. He really does. Which is like, in the most appropriate ways that his face is red and bulging. Yeah. Incredible. And did you cringe when she like got on top of him? Yes, that's what I was gonna, that's what I was gonna say, because it's, it that's, feels sort of sexual, doesn't it? Just putting, putting all these needles, and then she kind of, she's straddling him, and then she pulls herself up onto him. Pushing all those needles, and it's like, oh, oh. like, you just thought, <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that for the first time, too, and I'm just like, this can't get any worse. Oh, it just got worse, and then she kind of, right under his eyelids, oh my god. And while she's talking to, she's talking to him and she's basically just kind of like, all you men are the same. You said you would love me forever. I'd be the only one. I do get a feeling that maybe she's a little misinformed. Like, I think she maybe thinks that the guy is married, even though his wife has been dead for a while. But then again, even if she did know that his wife has been dead, would she probably still do it? She probably would. Because she was pretty jealous about the son too. So it feels like. Yeah, later on, yeah. And she, yeah, she does this thing where she put the needle in like different parts of his body and she kind of slowly pushes the needles into, yeah, just insane torture, just like very, very upsetting. And she gets off of him and um, she talks about his son, like, yeah, I'm going to fuck up your son too. And and he's able to say like, no, don't fuck with him. And she's like, see, you, you love your son and you said you'd only love me, you know, what the heck? And uh, she starts to cut his foot off, right? That's when she's- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. we're reacquainted with, I think it's piano wire, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He puts clamps on his foot feet. So he won't bleed out or pass out. Once again, the most effective torture scene, because the thing about the torture scene is that the movie has appropriately built up to it. It's very slow, the movie's very well paced. You're knowing more and more about the characters and what they want and who they are. And then once you get to the torture scene, it's very effective, very violent. Well, it's not too violent. It's not really like blood and gore. It's very cringe-inducing in a painful way. And you feel like you've earned the torture scene. You know, you feel like you've earned kind of the extremely violent scene that kind of, because the guy, it's the guy's fault because his friend continually tells him like, look, there's something wrong with her. Something's wrong. Something's up. <laughs> And then you get the torture scene at the end. So it feels, it's, it's satisfying in a kind of weird way. So yeah, he, she kind of puts clamps on his feet and using the piano wire, <laughs> she cuts off one of his feet, just totally. And it's so, it looks really real. <laughs> it looks real. It really looks like it really she does. Incredible prospect. Yeah. I think she mentions like, oh, this wire is so good at cutting through bone. She says the same thing when she cuts off the, the ballet teacher's head. Yeah, she fucking cuts it off. I will mention too, by the way, so Ryu Murakami, you know, the author who wrote the audition novel, he wrote another book called Coin Locker Babies, which I've not read, but apparently Mike was supposed to do an adaptation of this novel. And the novel is about coin operated locker babies. It occurs in Japan where infants are left in public lockers. And the presumption is that such lockers are regularly checked by attendants and the infant will be found quickly this is the Wikipedia page. Yeah. However, many children are found dead. Holy shit. 
yeah, it's kind of like the thing where, you know, like parents are like, I got to give up this baby. I'll put it on the foot of like a fire department or something like that. But Ryu Murakami wrote that book, I guess. I don't know if it's about coin locker babies. Who knows what it's about? But it would have been really good to see my EK tackle that topic or that book, I guess. You could <laughs> I think Ryu Murakami, in reading his novel and kind of watching this movie, Ryu Murakami sees kind of like a weird, kind of feels... I guess he views Japan as almost like a failed state in a way in terms of the people that inhabit it. I think he feels like the people who inhabit it are very flawed. So when you watch like audition, they, they mention a lot about how in Japan, like people are lonely. I think there's a scene early on where the main character is talking to like a film guy. The film guy's like, yeah, people in Japan are lonely. He's like, I think the main character asks like, are you lonely? And the guy's like, aren't you? You know, like everyone's kind of, I think the culture in Japan is kind of, I think it's a kind of like a criticism of the culture in Japan where it's almost kind of very, people are very lonely. They don't really express themselves too much in their trauma. I don't live in Japan. I'm not Japanese. You know, I am American and the United States has kind of that same problem as well. So I think Japan also probably has that problem. I've seen that in some Japanese media. So it's kind of interesting, yeah, audition's kind of the same way where it's kind of almost like horrible trauma underneath an audition. is kind of like a movie about that where the trauma is really underneath and it kind of comes to the forefront in like a really like violent, horrible way. You see that in a lot of Japanese, really any Japanese work past uh, World War II, you see that sense of loneliness and isolation especially i'd say especially in japanese work more so than you'd see in perhaps you know other asian pacific cultures or american cultures it's very pronounced there and and i think much so in this film too so she's cutting off his foot and as she as she goes to the second one that's when the sun walks in the door that's so stressful because you're just like the sun is totally innocent (laughs) he doesn't know what's going on and she grabs like a a perfume or something from her bag. It looks like mace. Like, you think mace? But it seems like... It's like perfumey though, right? It's not like... Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just, I feel like it's supposed to be mace because she's so like apparent trying to get it into well, his face. Well, I, I think it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to like knock him out or something. I guess. I, I don't know. Really bad job. <laughs> she's not doing a great job, but she goes and hides and he walks in. What's in on, on his father? That this so horror filmy, you know, just kind yeah. of like a person walks into a room and you know something that the person doesn't, and it's so good. And it's like uh it's kind of like a three shot with the father's in the foreground and he's yeah. trying to warn his son, but of course he's paralyzed. The, the son's in the midground, and of course in the background is Asami coming towards him. Yeah, and she comes out of the door, it's scary. <laughs> terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And he runs up the stairs she's chasing after him spraying this perfume or mace whatever it is like hard to say still very terrifying i at least was very terrified for his life like i'm I'm literally because she's like yeah she's threatening incredibly and he gets to the top of stairs he slips she's about to get him and he kicks her yeah she falls down the stairs and herself is probably Severely injured, uh, possibly broken neck. Uh, Not dead though, but close to it. And uh, the son somehow gets the nerve to call 911. 
and Asami says something to the father. It's almost like she's kind of like reverting back to her self when she's talking to him face to face. Kind of like, I'm lonely. You know, I haven't talked to someone in a long time. You know, I need somebody to talk to. I need someone to be with. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention, right before she attacks him, remember, he has, the, the main character has a basically a dream about being in bed with Asami. Yes. That's important. Yeah, yeah uh, real quick. Yeah, they're in bed and you think for a second like, oh, the, the whole thing was a bad dream, right? And they're in bed and you know, they kind of talk a little bit and Asami is just like, you know, I really like you. You seem really nice, blah, blah, blah. And you know, uh, the main character is like, we should get married. And she's like, yeah, we should. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he falls back to sleep. And then once again, we're back in reality where his son's about to get messed up. Yeah. Um, he kicks her, she falls down the stairs, um, he calls the police, and she basically repeats what she said about one of her dates, about being excited to see him, because, you know, he ignores her for a while, because on the advice of his friend, and she calls him, and they go on a date, and she's like, you know, I never thought I'd see you again, it's really nice to see you again, and she basically says the same thing, more or less, like, I never thought, you know, you'd call again. You know, I was waiting for you for a long time to call me back. I really liked you, which is maybe the saddest way that the movie could end. Because at the end of the day, like Asami, like, even though she's terrifying, she's a very, like, broken person, you know. It's clear, you know, abused person. And misunderstood as well, but not necessarily, but, you know, she's misunderstood because it's not like the guy is, like, the most evil person in the world as we've established but he's not a good guy either yeah. i guess the question is does he deserve the torture that he's getting <laughs> because i mean yeah he used his power and his his privilege and his position to try to meet a woman but you know, even asami says like uh yeah i know you're trying to you know use the auditions to so you can you know have sex with girls but that's not even necessarily what he wanted right he kind of wanted a wife you know someone to love so it's almost kind of like a situation in which maybe if they had been more honest with each other, they would have maybe come to a conclusion where it's like, oh, actually, maybe, you know, we could have had a relationship, um, even though Asami, of course, has this uh, skeleton closet where she keeps like her, uh, this guy is like a pet. Yeah, and I think pretty much after that, the movie ends. I, think, I don't think anything happens after that, after her diatribe about how she misses him. Even though, as you said, Asami is this sort of threatening character at the end, you don't, as you would in, say, so many uh, other films, like, there, there's no, like, uh, justice, I suppose. Like, in her death, like, that doesn't feel good, nor does the torture of any, nor of any of the characters. It just kind of feels sad and... Just yeah i've seen movies where a person will get revenge or a person and it's like oh yeah the person that the person that's getting revenge on this person deserves to get revenge in the context of the movie because mm -hmm. it's like a crazy movie about a person who gets horribly abused or something and right. it's like i want to see that person suffer in the context of the movie but in this movie yeah like i said it's so the torture scene is amazing because you're so confused during it Part of you is like, yes, like she's getting revenge, you know, but part of you is also like, well, the guy isn't, does he really deserve to be punished in this way? You know, he's not a great guy, but also he's not a super evil guy. He didn't really do anything illegal or super abusive. 
oh, he's a little abusive, I guess you could say, but he's not like the most horrible person in the world. But you still sympathize with Asami because you know she was horribly abused. You know, it's just you feel that's one of the great things about the movie, like I said, is that it's much more complicated than just a good or bad dichotomy, I guess you could say. It's much more complex and confusing, um, but in a really good way that feels very realistic and very effective. What would you rate the movie? I would give it a nine out of 10. I know I give a lot of nine out of 10s on the show, but you know, I picked the movie. It's a favorite, it's a new favorite. Great directing, great writing, looks great, sounds great. It's really hard to kind of like pick anything. I can't really find too much wrong with it for the most part. Maybe it gets a little confusing here and there, but it's a movie that's hard to part and parcel, which I think is part of why it's so good. It's not super cut and dry. It makes you think about who, you know, who's deserving of this, who's deserving of that. So super good. I think I'm also going to give this movie a 9 out of 10. Let's go. It's it's just so incredible. And every single decision, and every it's just a masterclass in everything that is filmmaking. The yeah. lighting is beautiful. The blocking is magnificent. The editing is brilliant. The score is genius. The story is incredible. The only thing I would say that is really more of a personal thing than anything is the torture scene is a little much for me. Um, and I, I know it's just a personal thing. Uh, it's not it, it's an incredible scene. It looks beautiful. It feels intense and uncomfortable. But to me, I would have been okay if there was less of it, just because to me, it feels, I mean, it's not that it isn't deserved, but it does feel a little indulgent. And I it's it's still incredible and I really have no criticisms for the film at all. I just um yeah very uncomfortable feeling, which I, is the whole point. So it's it's not even really a criticism. So definitely a nine out of ten. It's more like a preference, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I picked the movie too. I know you were like apprehensive on house. I love that movie, but audition seemed like a good movie for you to watch because it's beautiful and patient and slow, but it is a Japanese horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> does have its moments that are very disturbing and very uh, violent and strange. So I kind of was curious to see what you thought about it because it is such a beautiful and wonderful movie, um, but it is so just dark. And so just, you once, especially like you said, the torture scene is just insane. I love the torture scene. I've seen worse, I think. Well, maybe not worse because maybe worse in just terms of content, like blood and gore and, you know, crazy shit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, once again, just the lead up to it, just perfect. And once you get to it, it just feels so satisfying. Once you get to it, it feels so worth it once you get to the final. Not that like I get enjoyment out of it, um, but even just kind of the feeling of like, oh my God, like I can't believe this is happening. It looks so real, you know, uh, it's, it's great. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I'm Austin Lugo. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at AustinLugo12. And this is Andrew Harp. Once again, follow me on Twitter at ADHarp24. If you like the show, please uh, give a review, maybe rate it if you'd like, and also um, subscribe to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs>